Aaron McKeown's Facts of Life Football and Jesus. Don't be surprised I'm into both. Dropkick me Jesus through the goalposts of life And over and neither left nor to right Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights Dropkick me Jesus through the goalposts of life Make me all, make me Lord more than I am Make me a piece in your master game plan Free from the earthly temptation below I've got the will, Lord, if you've got the toe Drop, kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life Surprise, drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life. Sisters who've knocked at your door All the departed dear loved ones of mine And stick them up front in the offensive line Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life And over any the left nor the right Straight through the heart of Surprise, drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life. Drop kick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life. Today's audio is the Bobby Bear classic, Drop Kick Me, Jesus. A hit for the country music icon in 1976, it was written by Nashville songwriter Paul Kraft. His claim that it is the world's only Christian football waltz is a claim likely never to be refuted. Why would anyone need another Christian football waltz when these two and a half minutes are devoted punny perfection? On brand for the facts of life, let's go deeper down this rabbit hole for a moment. When I was Googling this song, I found a blog post from a guy in Australia who plays amateur weekend football with his friends. He was taken by the song, too. He Googled Paul Kraft, found his website, and the following quote from the songwriter himself. When I wrote Drop Kick Me Jesus, I figured everybody knew about songs like I'm Using My Bible for a Roadmap and We Need a Lot More Jesus and a Lot Less Rock and Roll and would appreciate what I had accomplished with my song. 
while my mother didn't for one. She just knew there was something wrong with a song that had Kick and Jesus that close together in the title. And she wasn't alone. But Elvis Costello and Bill Clinton understand it and like it. The first time I encountered this song, I was doing research, which usually just means me Googling things. I was preparing for the 2011 sports-themed episode of Cabin Fever, my long-running streaming variety show, going strong since 2009. At first, I loved the song ironically, a song about Jesus, using football as a metaphor. Then I loved it campily, a kind of artificial costume that actually did capture something very real. Now, more than a decade after I first sang it, I love it because I'm into football, and I'm into Jesus. I'll wait for you to pick your jaw up off the floor about the Jesus part. While you're doing that, let me talk about the football part. If you've even halfway been listening to me for the last 25 years, you will know that I love sports. That Cabin Fever episode is just one of many examples where I have been explicit about this love. I have written articles for Paste and The Advocate about my love of baseball. I wrote a whole blog series for New York Public Radio on the intersection between sports and music. I hosted an episode of Soundcheck on WNYC that was about sports-themed theater. By the way, that episode featured my pal, director Thomas Kale, another creative type who loves sports. If you don't know him, you will probably know the next project he directed after our interview, a little skit called Hamilton. And this is just my public-facing self. My friends also know how much I love sports. It's clear from the moment you walk into my house, where a huge portrait of Megan Rapino hangs in my living room. Right as the pandemic was kicking off, I got super into cricket. As the pandemic waned, I got into Formula One. You can blame Netflix for both of these delightful detours. I mostly grew up a baseball fan, but as a small fry in the orbit of 1990s Washington, I also loved football by osmosis. This love has carried into adulthood, and ever since the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts and Dustin Pedroia retired, football has been my primary sports-watching love. I set aside my Sundays to watch games. All my friends know this. My therapist also takes it as a given. Have a good time watching the games, she says, as I leave her office on Friday afternoons. I try to watch all the football docs and docu-series I can find. I have a subscription to the NFL Network. I listen to many football podcasts. I delight in rivalries and history. I have a lot of favorite teams. Uniforms matter to me, and I follow a specific Twitter account that keeps track of the changes in what teams wear. I think one of the best places to be in the world is an airport bar watching the big game, any big game, with total strangers. Sometimes, when I mention something to do with football, people are surprised. If they are ostensibly friends, I immediately doubt our friendship. How could you not know this about me? Do you not see me? Am I letting down my side of the friendship bargain by not being my true self with you at all times? It gets dark for me fast. Other times, I think people's surprise is based on a kind of stereotyped or reductionist idea of who would like football. I can't blame you. You're not wrong to have assumed I wouldn't be into such a mainstream, capitalist, violent, racist sport. A sport with dubious ties to the military-industrial complex. A sport that conflates fandom with a certain kind of MAGA patriotism. I will be the first to say all of these things are true about football. Sometimes my love for football even bewilders me. 
But football, like all sports, is the best movie you've ever watched where no one has seen the ending yet. It is a masterclass in working within the constraints of a long list of rules, which I think is the definition of creativity. Football is chess and a marathon and a wrestling match all rolled up into one. As far as the actual corporation that is the NFL, I hold my nose. I do not endorse them. They are a necessary evil. And I avidly support the many activists who love the game, but are also pushing back about labor relations and safety. Hey y'all, popping in here late to say thanks for all the positive feedback about renaming the pod. It seems that the facts of life is a hit. I also want to thank those of you that let me know that I got one very important fact of life wrong. Alan Thicke was the dad on Growing Pains, not Family Ties, as I said in the episode. How could I have gotten that so wrong? I promise to do better with my facts in the future. I also want to let you know that I have a random gig February 16th in Lincoln, Massachusetts. The De Cordova Museum had an artist drop out at the last minute, and I am glad to fill in. It's like a random sighting of the Yeti in the wild. Aaron plays a live show, blink, and it's gone. I know this is irrelevant to many of you listening in other parts of the world, but I offer it here uh, first in hopes that people who are listening in the Boston area will come. And second, just to say that you never know when it might work out for me to perform. Ask and ye shall receive, especially if the money is a guarantee. So thanks as always for your continued support. Subscribe if you like, tell a friend, etc, etc. I am forever grateful. Now, let's talk about Jesus. I get it. Jesus is a complex thing. Like football, Jesus often gets turned into a shibboleth for a set of political values I don't support. Jesus can often be a weapon of hate and fear and punishment. Humans have done a lot to confuse and complicate and erase the nuance of this cultural symbol. I grew up with a Catholic Jesus in my life, lots of blood and thorns, etc. I was skeptical, even blasphemous. Very young, I was shown Monty Python's Life of Brian, and I thought, yes, that's what I think about Jesus. An ironic joke, a parody, how funny. As I've grown older and developed more of a spiritual practice and outlook on life, I've come to respect how other people can hold Jesus as a representative of the same. Besides the demons who use Jesus as an excuse for hate and violence, there are plenty of people for whom Jesus means a kind and service-oriented way of life, a way to build community among seemingly disparate people, a way to help and support the least of us. Things really began to change for me a few years ago when I worked with an artist who had a deeply personal and loving relationship with Jesus. To say I was surprised to learn this is an understatement. I had never imagined that someone could be a politically radical creative type and also hold Jesus in their heart. Thankfully, they weren't shaken by my surprise. They were comfortable in their love of Jesus and were happy to explain what Jesus offered them. For them, Jesus was a friend a comfort who was always reaching a helping and loving hand out to them. It really was that simple. It wasn't about heaven or hell. It wasn't about abortion or politics. For them, Jesus was simply a loving, constant companion who wanted the best for them. It was about friendship. By the way, I think friendship is way underrated in our society. Can I get an amen if you agree? This encounter with my artist friend opened a door for me. I didn't have to be scared of someone who loved Jesus. 
This artist loved Jesus, but they were not an evangelical freak. I knew this person, knew their commitment to justice through art, knew their skill as a creator. I became Jesus Curious. A few years later, I was in a tiny art house theater in Raleigh, North Carolina. On a day off from tour, another friend and I had decided to go see the newly edited and released Aretha Franklin concert film, Amazing Grace. The movie documents the live recording of Aretha's seminal gospel album of the same name. That album is one of my all-time favorites. It fits right into my spiritual outlook and way of life, a musical expression of what I recognize daily. There is a power greater than me, and that power is wholly loving. It's not more complicated for me than that. So I'm watching the film, watching Aretha work, and she is working, sweating as she pounds the piano, works the mic, and pushes herself deeper into the music. Her talent is otherworldly. It has the aura of a gift to you and to her. You feel she is channeling a greater power. It is awesome and inspiring to behold. Then something shifts. She stands still behind a lectern to sing the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. She stays right there the whole song, grounded and settled and sings her ass off. When she and the choir linger on the word everything, repeating it until it becomes holy, I get goosebumps. What was cosmic becomes earthly, palpable flesh and blood. Aretha not just conjures, but is truly in the presence of a friend. And that friend is everything. Jesus is so very real to her, as real as my friend sitting next to me at the movie, as real as the musicians accompanying her as she plays. I remember being so moved by this and thinking, I want to know that person. If he's such a good friend to Aretha, maybe I should meet him. Like I said, in the spiritual realm, I keep things very uncomplicated. I keep the sentences short. I keep the focus on positivity. I keep a lens small and don't think beyond the day as I live in it. I am thankfully unbothered by any past traumas that have to do with God, Jesus, or spiritual communities. I have other traumas, but they aren't these. God, Jesus, spirituality can be simple gifts that bring me peace, focus, and joy. While I expect my friends to know I love sports, I know I can't expect people to know that I love God, which is what I choose to call this power greater than me, and that I'm curious about this friend named Jesus. It's too big a leap from who people probably think I am. Plus, it's so personal. Sports is often a place where people come together. Religion, though different from spirituality, is often a place where people divide. I get this. And yet, if you were listening, you might have caught this strain in my writing. Every day, give me the strength of a thousand beams. Every day, carry me and lift me and hold me. Here I am, humble on my knees. Come back to life, come back to everything. Oh, you were right about everything. God is perfectly clear. We are perfectly out. I have some newer neighbors that I enjoy a lot. We have dogs and music and our shared small town in common. They are also atheists. I can't blame them for assuming I would be too, but their mouths literally fell open when somehow, after about a year of friendship, it came up that I love God, that I believe in God. I worried for a moment that it might be the end of our friendship. 
but I underestimated my own comfort in what I believe. I'm finding I can't be shaken from what is true for me. And I underestimated their curiosity about my beliefs and I about theirs. I suppose that's what I want to get at by even singing Dropkick Me Jesus. Yes, I love the song ironically. It's so weird. And yes, I love it campily. It takes its own absurdity seriously, and in that is deeply true. And I actually do love football and Jesus. All of these things can be true and still coexist in one undeniably ridiculous song. Dropkick Me Jesus is both a joke and a hymn. Girl, you can have it all. In the end, it's all a good reminder to stay curious about people rather than judgmental, to ask questions rather than to assume. And I think that's what friends are for. All right, y'all, that's it for audio this week. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, you can check out the fully linked version with pictures, erinmccone.substack.com. Subscribe there if you like. Please tell a friend, spread the word. Thanks so much. Thank you.